I'm delighted to welcome Nolene Blackwell, who is the CEO of the Rape Crisis Centre in Ireland. And Nolene has many strings to her bow. She was recently promoted to be the, on the governing authority of UCD by Simon Harris. And he said of her that she's an incredible advocate, a strong feminist and a wonderful person, which I totally concur with, by the way, Noli. She's also a powerful voice in demanding the change we need in society. And I really want to welcome you here today and thank you for participating in this empowerment series, because we've done this for the last two years down at the University of Limerick. And now we're doing the podcast because of COVID. But it's wonderful to be educating society about uh, everything that you talk about. So will you give us your journey, Nolene, as to how you got here and what made you so passionate about what you're doing today? Thanks very much, Mary, and I'm I'm delighted to be considered as someone who who is empowering women. Um, I I am around a long time and I have seen a lot of progress in relation to women's rights, uh, but we have still a very long way to go. Um, So how how did I get to be uh, the chief executive of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, working to a brilliant board, uh, which uh, featured another, uh, my chairperson also featured in your Empowering Women series, I know, uh, with Anne-Marie Anne-Marie Gill, Gill, uh, who who is a very powerful advocate herself. But um, so my background is as a solicitor. I have no legal, I have no legal connections. I've loads of legal friends now, but I have no legal connections whatsoever. I just thought uh, when I was in school that I would be a teacher. Then by sheer chance, a friend of mine was going to do law. I said, why don't I do law instead? It was that easy. Um, And I went and I did my um, um, BCL degree in Dublin uh, and I trained as a lawyer in Tipperary. We're both from both Tipperary. From and, Tip, uh, yes. Yeah, um, under a great teacher, Kieran Flynn, in Tipperary Town. And uh, I became a solicitor. And, uh, and, and really, I suppose, in the way that life has of giving you gifts that you don't ask for or look for. Mm. It turned out that I loved every minute of my study as a lawyer and I learned uh, and I learned that actually my way of thinking suited a legal career. Some of the people who started law with me did not find Mm. that Mm. and a lot of people don't like it but it has given me a way of understanding the world. Mm. So I was a solicitor first for years in Tipperary, very happy years uh, where I became a bit involved in the setting up of Citizens Information Centre down there as well with a bunch of other volunteers. It was the early days of the Citizens Information Centres to which I still have a great, with which I still have a great uh, fondness. And then, uh, so I was solicitor in Tipperary, then I moved to Nace briefly, and then I set up my own practice in Dublin. Um, and, and I did that in Drumcondra in Dublin for many years, where I was very happy as well. I found I was becoming more and more interested in a couple of areas of law, really people-related law. Uh, uh, I think what I love about law in some ways is, as a solicitor, you get uh, to to get involved in other people's problems mm-hmm. and you get paid mm. for giving them advice. You know, yes. a lot of advice I give now, people don't want or need, but like at least when you're a solicitor, it's yes. something that you're doing for a living. Yes, yes. So I found that the areas of law that I was kind of drawn to were family law. And because at that stage I was quite engaged as a volunteer with Amnesty International mm-hmm. uh, with refugee law and immigration law. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the 90s and we were just starting to see refugees come into Ireland 
after the fall of the Berlin Wall, um, Ireland was becoming a name on the map. Mm-hmm. You know, people course, in yes. people were coming from uh, Africa who knew about Ireland because the Christian brothers and missionary sisters yes. had gone out to teach there. People were coming with names like Patrick and Finbar from places mm-hmm. from and they could have got them from nowhere except a missionary school. Uh, uh, we were getting people coming across because Aeroflot used to refuel. Oh in my Shannon. God, that brings back memories. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. And, uh, and because they refueled in Shannon. Actually, some people thought they'd arrived in Canada and got yes. off and uh, mistaking it. Uh, and then they, they were applying for asylum in Ireland. So that was kind of a human rights focus then mm. to, to my practice, which was growing course, yeah. uh, over time. And then eventually I kind of got to the conclusion that I wanted to do more of that area. I set out a terrific, I did this SWOT analysis, looking at my strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats, which is what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I made a plan for myself and then nowhere in my plan was that I would apply for and get a job with FLAC, the Free Legal Advice Centres, which is a legal rights uh, non-governmental organisation. Um, and I was there for then a decade. And uh, at the end of that, then um, the uh, Ellen O'Malley Dunlop was re- retiring as chief executive of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. And for some reason, again, a gift, uh, even though it had been a long time since I'd been involved with the Rape Crisis mm-hmm. Centre, I thought this looked like something which could use my talents, which are in the area maybe of looking at uh, looking at the law, looking at the justice system, looking at human rights and Mm. seeing and recognizing, I suppose, that in the area of sexual violence, people, all people of all genders, but particularly women, their rights in 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 vindicating their rights to health and their rights to justice and their rights to be the best possible people they were weren't as advanced as they should be. So I applied for the job with no great hopes uh, that I would get it because the last time I had done anything with the Rape Crisis Centre was uh, 25 years previously mm. when I'd applied to be a volunteer. Okay. I'd done the course, yeah. but I didn't get on to the volunteer panel because I was too bossy. Um, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't non-judgmental enough for them. Very so good, I came yeah. back um, then and, and I did get the job and I've been there now for for four and a half years. My and it goodness. Has, yeah, yeah, it's flown. And who was your mentor? Who was your female mentor? Or did you have a fee? You mentioned Kieran Flynn, who was yeah. a great teacher. Yeah. But did you have a female female mentor um, in your life at all? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it started with my mother. Yes. Um, my sisters um, are my mentors as well. Uh, mm. Several of my family members, uh, friends. So, I, I, I mean, I have... I. There are some people to whom I look up enormously. Yes, uh, yes. Sister Stan would be one of the people yeah, that amazing above, person. above all, yeah, you know, above all of that. But there are there are so many people who have been good to me mm-hmm. um, and so many women who have helped me to be a better me Fantastic. all along the way that uh, that in a sense, I, 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 I am in awe. Of, of all their generosity over time. I have, I think a, a lot of women have this. I have a couple of groups of great friends mm. to whom I, I know I could say anything. Um, and but you're a very open person in a lovely way and you give back as much as you get in a nice way, which no, is I, I, important. No, I, I, I don't, Mary. I don't. I, I <laughs> get an awful lot that. more. Yeah, I get yeah, an yeah. awful lot more. Yes, yeah. uh, for certain sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I continue to see now, for instance, Often the people I have I have worked with say now it's the survivors formerly like some of the 
some of the refugees that I would have come across mm. over the years as well. And you look at their stamina mm. and their resilience and their capacity to overcome. And you just think, oh, my God, mm. if they can if they can do that, I, I can certainly Absolutely. make it to the to the end of the day. Let me have my hissy fit if I want to. But yes, yeah. I can come back and do another day because yeah, when, yeah. when I look at what they what they are determined to accomplish, yeah. so many people. So um, and this particularly true, I suppose I notice it maybe more in women. Mm-hmm how determined they are to to accomplish things and they do and often that accomplishment is just if they can make it to through the next hour yes. without you know yes. killing someone uh, or, you know, them. Nearly, absolutely yeah. you the, i think a big turning point in irish history with regard to to rape was the belfast case yeah. i don't know what you thought about that yeah. but i felt it was a real turning point it made women and all society really look at this and say oh my goodness yeah. what do you think of that uh, yeah the, yeah so so it was uh, actually i think it was i think we were getting there anyway mm. there were a few things before it mm. uh, that that struck me i remember actually Actually, um, George Hook, when he was a commentator with News Talk as well, yes. made a misstep in how he described um, a young girl who uh, who was who was raped at, at a sort yes. of a celebrity do somewhere else. Yes, along. Yes. She, he misdescribed it and he apologised for it afterwards. But I remember thinking that was interesting because it had happened and within 24 hours uh, people were coming in nobody had to whip up a storm a lot of people just in their heads a lot of women said not on to blame the girl in that way and then we had uh, Me Too we had Me Too in the United States which is fantastic and and social media for all its ills and there are a lot of ills Mm. associated with it and it can be abusive but in a way it allowed a lot of people to take a deep breath and say I am so relieved to hear it's not just me Great. this has happened to others the same thing and that's where me too came from but I agree with you about that celebrity um, rape trial yes. in Belfast yes. in the early part of 2018 so it's two and a half years ago now mm-hmm. and we had nine weeks of it Yes, yeah. when uh, it couldn't happen down south it couldn't that's happen true. in Ireland because yeah. um, in Ireland the uh, defendant would not be named mm-hmm. and so you wouldn't have known there were kind of prominent rugby players exactly. and their friends exactly. involved in it yes. um, and that's the point because every rape trial actually is open in Northern Ireland mm. but, uh, but this one is was the celebrity element that drew people in but for nine weeks Mm. there was nowhere I went even if people didn't know who Mm. I was or Mm. what I did or anything every single household every single group of people had some conversation some real conversation around around rape around consent what does consent mean and around what kind of way do young men look at young women as as seen in that WhatsApp as seen in the WhatsApp text. And as you said, Nolene, there's a lot of ills, but the good thing about that was the WhatsApp messages showed us what, you know that that's actually what yeah. really turned it all was the way they spoke about yeah. those that girl so demeaning. That was really what angered people, and, wasn't and, it? And it was, and and it wasn't just some group of people who had no benefits in life. Yes, absolutely, Th- these were some of the most privileged highly educated, right. m- most cosseted uh, young men in Northern to Ireland. And you would expect to be, to be, to so, be treating so, women so, with respect. So, yeah. and, and, then, and then we found out, actually, 
that that's the way a lot of young people were, a lot of young men were talking about young women. Absolutely. And that young women were also bought in to all of that, that they felt they were getting attention. So you had to look and say, where is respect in relation to all yes, of this? That was the where, one thing that where, annoyed us all. Yeah. yeah. Where, where is an under? They were talking about their friends mm. like these weren't just, you know, Absolutely, women that they yeah. picked up that night. They, these were their friends That's right, that yeah. they were speaking about in this particular way. And it got way. a visceral response, didn't it? Because it was just so demeaning. Yeah. You, I mean, you wouldn't speak about your dog the way some of those were just wouldn't. awful. And, yeah. and what it was, was they were speaking about people in a, in, in a way that didn't describe them as people, that described them as things. That's it. That's and as it. things to be played with and dropped. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, I think, shocked people that in this day and age, yeah, even yeah. with the benefits of education and and any every privilege that could be given, that this could still be the way that that we would be talking about. And I think it it's it stopped a yeah. lot. It stopped a lot of nonsense about that, that people like us in because Dublin's one of 16 rape crisis yes, centres yes, around the country. Yes, I mean, yes. we, we are kind of, you know, we were nearly seen as all have been driven by this agenda. It stopped that because we mm. could now see this was a problem. And immediately within a week of the outcome of that, mm. uh, the Minister for Justice, who was then Charlie Flanagan, announced there would be a review into how our system dealt with uh, sexual offence trials Very good. because while there was some difference in that ours weren't in public the same thing could have happened if you had four defendants in a case mm. you would have one witness for the prosecution the the, vic the, the victim the yes. complainant whoever it yes, is in yes. all these cases but if you had four defendants you would have exactly the same thing where you would have a team of 12 experienced expert mm. people they mightn't all be men mm. down south but mm. Cross-examining that one witness. One person, so, yes. So that 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 was announced, and the other thing that happened within the same week, the then Minister for Education, Richard Bruton, mm. announced that the school curriculum in relation to consent had not changed since 1999. My goodness. Now. 1999, the internet existed, mm -hmm. but nobody mm -hmm. knew how to use it. Or it was kind of the dial up thing where you yes, do, 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 yes, do, if you yes, heard yeah, anything yeah, out of it. Yeah. And certainly smartphones were, if they were, they were only a twinkle in the eye yes. of Steve Jobs and Apple or whoever yes, it was, was yes. going to invent them. Yes. While we all went around with our bricks, our Nokia bricks. Yeah. So there had been such enormous changes, principally due to the Internet, also due to the fact that pornography was coming across the Internet mm. at, a, at a rate of knots, that that in in a sense that young people were no longer getting the emotional development that they needed at a time when they needed it to understand what what healthy relationships yes. look like, what consensual relationships look like. Now, that does not excuse anyone in that particular yeah. WhatsApp group in Belfast because they had the benefit of whatever education Absolutely. they needed. But we were hearing that sports organisations all over the country were, were, were in the same position, yeah. uh, that an awful lot of parents were hearing that their children were not one bit shocked by this. Yes, when they were doing that's, that, that was and, very true. And then I think the other thing that really happened, there was an awful lot of young people, particularly young women, became 
incensed with the whole thing, which was, which was great. And, and saying uh, yet again, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. So that was big. I, I thought the very powerful thing was that the, those young women and, and older women, it, it, they had this online thing where they emailed to the RFU to say, we want those men off the team. Yeah. They do not represent, they're yeah. not going to represent Ireland. I thought that was formidable because it, yeah. it was the first time I really heard women and men. There was a lot of men too said, yeah. sorry, they're not yeah. representative of, of how we th- respect women. We certainly wouldn't want our daughters spoken of in that way. Yes. And therefore they just didn't. And the RFU had to, had to actually agree and, because and, their sponsors and, and the demanded same, it. Yeah, the same mm. the same people wrote to the sponsors. Uh, uh, I mean, I do remember yeah. a couple of the sponsors coming out. Yes. I particularly Kingspan, remember. I think, uh, wasn't yes, it? well, yes. I remember Francesca McDonough, the oh, yes, then Bank new uh, yeah. Bank of Ireland CEO, mm. uh, coming out saying she expected to hear that things would happen, you know, Wonderful. and, uh, and, and very shortly afterwards, uh, indeed, things yeah. did happen. And yeah. of course, things happen at the right time because Francesco was a female CEO in, yeah. in an area of we don't see too many female CEOs. Exactly. So, you know, if that if she hadn't been there, maybe that mightn't have happened. Yeah. yeah. So it's good to have people in the right place at the right time, yeah. isn't it? No, yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was. And and what it was, though, was it wasn't a, a witch hunt mm, against not at these. All. It was simply saying to it's not sport. acceptable. You know, these people are not just playing a game of rugby. Yes, they were held up as icons of respect in True. our society. And I think what people were writing saying was that they no longer respected these people. Yes, um, absolutely. that they didn't respect that kind of behavior mm-hmm. and that there was there. There had to be consequences for that kind of totally. disrespectful behavior. And that, I think, was the was the point that that mm. maybe uh, the RFU didn't get at the time. They also promised a root and branch review. Mm-hmm. Um, to be truthful, they I think they found that everything was fine in the yes, RFU. Yes, yes, that's right. That's Whether right. That, yeah, that's their decision. But uh, but at the same time, it was just that I think people said, no. Do you know what? It's it, that's 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 not that's not who we are yes. as a people. But I think it was it was great because it sort of questioned that macho culture, and we all know the rugby does have, and there's yeah. female and male rugby. Yeah. Remember, but in, in men's rugby, there is that macho culture where it was seen as acceptable to talk about women but not in that demeaning way yeah. and that's where men put up their hands and said hang on or this is yeah. not acceptable women said the same yes. and it was wonderful because it sort of set out a boundary yes. which had never been set out before yes. to say hang on you know these are young girls we, we wouldn't want them spoken about our mothers or our aunts or our yeah. daughters spoken so it was a boundary that was never put there before Nolene yeah. wasn't it well you see the thing about the boundaries is and we had a little chat about this before we went yes. on air as well. Yeah. Is, uh, that was never there before. Actually, one of the questions to which I still don't have a really good answer is why it was that the rape cri- our Dublin Rape Crisis Centre was the first of the 16 to be set up and it was set up in 1979. Mm. So it was 40 years old last year in yeah. November uh, 2000 and, uh, 2019. And, um, and we had a conference where we brought back some of the early people involved in it, Anne O'Donnell, Evelyn Connell, um, uh, Bar- um, um, Barbara Egan and um, Olive Braden, mm. who was a director for yes. a long time at the yes. centre as well. And so was Anne. And we brought them back um, and they had come in at a time where where women had gone out in on the streets, young women again, in their thousands, young women and older women, actually, in their thousands on the night on the Reclaim the Night um, marches mm. where they said we want to be able to walk where we want to walk we want to be able to wear what we want to wear without 
without being physically or sexually assaulted. Mm. Uh, there was a series of rape cases that happened at the time as mm. well mm. Um, that led into it. Susan McKay was also involved in it. But so so they they set a marker at that stage for equality for women and for the right of women to live without fear. Mm. And my question, to which I haven't a full answer yet, is what then happened in the succeeding decades so mm. that 10 years ago, in, in relation to our work, people were still whispering the word rape. Yes. They were still whispering sexual assault. There were people who would fundraise for us, but they wouldn't wear our T-shirts because it said rape on it. Absolutely. Um, Some of my uh, colleagues in the Rape Crisis Centre who were there at the time said they would set up a stand at a student society and people wouldn't come over to them except Mm. to sidle over quietly to say, I don't want to be seen anywhere near the word rape. So Mm. what what went wrong? So in a sense as well, I think really part of this, uh, I, I think women are back again in a place where where they really are objecting to to living in fear in any way, particularly of sexual assault. Absolutely. But 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 in a sense, we have to watch this really carefully, I think, because we could again find that if we don't keep the energy in oh, this, totally. That mm. that we uh, and, and your empowering women series mm. is part of that mm. It's part of a reminder that actually gains can be easily lost. Lost, dreadful. Uh, yes. you, you see where advances are made in equality, not just for women, for any ism, for for yeah. race, uh, gender is one, race is another, um, sexual orientation, mm. whatever. But it is easy for those to, to be reversed or reduced totally. unless we are careful uh, to keep them up because it's actually, I know everyone says the theory is that you don't lose power if you share power. You do actually, in my view, yes, lose yeah, power. Yeah, and, yeah. and if it becomes harder for <clears throat> men to have sex when they, with women when mm. they want to have it, yeah. well, then that's a loss. You know, it was easier if you didn't have to think about it. Yes, like yes. it's only since... 1990 that that a man could be accused of raping his wife you know Mm -hmm. it was not a crime until 1990 and no one was convicted of it until this century so so it was easier for husbands to Mm. operate back in the days yes. with their wives, yeah, you know, totally, totally. So, so you just so again, it's just I, I'm, I'm kind of veering off. But just no, to but make you're that so right. point. We, we, and what we want is someone to take on our mental lowly and, yes. and to keep the whole thing going. Yes. That's what you're saying. Yes. It's so important because I think I told you on our way up here that Maria McGuinness had said that, that when she was growing up as a young girl, you know, that empowered her to go to yes. where she is now commissioner. But, you know, she said in, tw- in 20 years, there was nothing done yes. in that Nell McCafferty, you know, yeah. they, they were all big voices but then yeah. in the 20 years it just didn't get to the forefront yeah. and and now thankfully it is and we yeah. just want this to keep moving yeah. and all we want is equality we're not looking for one sex to be more than the other we just want for females to have equality yeah. and that's what we want in society yeah. and and this is an and in the area of sexual violence Very which much. can impact everybody oh, all yeah. the genders it definitely does but nonetheless it disproportionately affects women without question can I ask you about the court case Noli? yeah because th- that again was another you you're so right the me too movement was the first thing that really spelled this then yeah. with the Belfast case then the court case then 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 this was a case where where 
in a sense, you were jo- your jaw dropped yes. uh, because it was a, a female senior counsel who was involved in the defence of a young man who was charged with raping a girl. And in her closing arguments, uh, she made she made the point that uh, that you know what was what was that young girl looking for when she went out dressed as she was mm. wearing a thong. Now, and and she went on to make other closing arguments. Mm. Two things about that. One I thought was interesting was that the Irish examiner actually reported it. Mm. I think they mightn't even have noticed three or four years before that. So they noticed. Very good point. But they did report it. And and to and to say that it it just incensed everybody as well is it it made international news. It did. Yeah, we were horrified. We were horrified. It was it was horrific because mm. it was taking us back to that place yeah. that it was up to a girl mm. to dress in a particular way when Absolutely. she went out to stop a man. Yeah, um, she was coming asking on to her. for it. She was dreadful, asking for it. She was out, and we'd indeed we'd yeah. had Louise O'Neill and her wonderful book and play in the meantime as well, and a Cork woman herself yes, as well, very uh, well talking about asking for it. And, yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so that and what that do you became, think we learned from that? Did we? Did we? Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. actually, the the thing then is that it kind of got got sewn into everyone's consciousness, indeed, including mine, uh, for for a period, mm. uh, uh, to that that the the woman had produced a thong. She didn't, but Ruth Coppinger, TD at the time, did the following day and kind of said they're selling them in pennies, mm. uh, a pack of five. Here's what a thong looks like. It's normal underwear for an awful lot of women of many ages right now. So j- just to say, just to bring it back to the normality and and I think uh, I think out of that actually I think that even gave our justice system a bit of a shock and mm. um, they they didn't I mean it wasn't for the a full bar to mm. do anything about it but within a year of that they held um, a seminar pretty well devoted to the whole area of the impact of sexual violence on women so you know there was there was I think we were I think we were just kind of you nearly went, what is it we have to do Absolutely. to get beyond this? And, I, I, and, 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 and it highlighted yet again the justice system as, part, as a big part of our problem. And Noli, we've an awful lot to do with the justice system because patients tell me this all the yeah. time, women who have been raped, how difficult it is in the court setting, yeah. how they feel it's so hard to yeah. go in and, and get justice yeah. in the sense that it, it, everything is against them. Yes. That, that's what they say to yes. me. Can you tell me what, what yeah. we can do to improve yeah. the and, whole and, justice? And the, the, I can tell you something because in the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre mm. we accompany people to guard the stations yes. and we accompany them to court yes. and uh, wh- whether we do or whether we don't uh, they will tell us that it is ba- as bad or if not worse mm. than the rape experience the experience of going to court and going through the justice system it is dreadful mm. um, and uh, um, uh, Charlie Flanagan did order a review yes. back in April 2018 which actually only got published in August of this year, 2020. Yeah. Um, it was a review overseen by Tom O'Malley, who is a lecturer in NUI Galway and who's the leading expert, actually, on uh, sentencing and on sexual offences. Very, very erudite man indeed. And, yeah. uh, he, uh, and, and this came out no- noticing a whole lot of things that can improve the situation. I still think 
our court system would like it to be the way it always was. Yes. That that you would just go in, that the, the victim of a sexual offence would hang around until the court was ready and uh, would go in and give the evidence and then would go away and not bother anyone else mm, uh, mm. once they'd been cross-examined. But in fact... That's not recognising something that the law is now recognising, and that is that victims have rights. Totally. And you have to make it, you have to make it simpler. And sexual offences, like domestic violence, have this particular thing about them, and it is that an off- these things happen in private. Yes, yes. Very often the point. only two people who know what's going on are the, the two people, the, the person who's making the complaint mm. and the person who's accused of mm-hmm. the complaint. Mm-hmm. And very often there is no physical evidence. Yes. Really. Yeah. There, there may be physical evidence, some forensic evidence of yeah. uh, of semen, but that only says that sex took place. That's it doesn't right, say yeah. that a crime took place. Yes, yes. And, and a crime only takes place if the sexual activity was non-consensual. Yeah. So in in these particular cases, you have a situation where very often most, if not the whole case, hinges on the accounts that are given by the person who's making the complaint mm. and the person who's accused. accused yes. And there is a massive imbalance in the way that they are treated. Mm-hmm. First of all, the person who's making the complaint has to say some things that I certainly would not say in public yeah, yeah. and unless I absolutely had to in a court setting. Yes. And, and, and they have to say them to a stranger. That stranger is, first of all, the guard, then somebody in the DPP's mm. office and then a court, which might consist of 12 people in from the public that you hope to never see again in your life, plus a bunch of lawyers. And you're talking about something very private as well and something so very intimate. Would you, would you yes. even tell your friends? Yes, you know, this is it. Yeah. You, w- would, you, would you even discuss it with your partner very often? Very often you wouldn't. Exactly. And yeah. so it has that about it. So that's what the person making the complaint has to do. And then they have to remember every single incident of that sexual violence mm-hmm. until such time as the court case takes place, which can be four or five years down the line. And Noel, what was very evident in Belfast, which I thought was very unfair, was that poor girl had to, uh, and remember the boys were acquitted, but so we have to be fair about it, but it was the fact that she had to be cross-examined by, I think it was a three or four barristers. I mean, it wasn't just one barrister because each boy had a barrister exactly and that just seemed very unfair that she had to be each boy had a solicitor and two barristers yeah that just so there was a team of 12 unfair and they operated as a group it wasn't even as Mm. if they were against each other sometimes if you have two um defendants yeah uh, they're they're nearly against each other because one might be snitching on the other i thought that was very in this case yeah so there were 12 expert experienced lawyers able to cross-examine one person. One person. Now yeah. that that case happened within a, a year of the uh, of the date of the complaint. Here you could you could be waiting two, three, four years. That's dreadful. That's and, just not. And right. you often, you know, people would come. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole lot of things that the O'Malley Review uh, recommended, which are important. Good. One is that everybody get training, and this mm-hmm. would this would solve issues like uh, we were saying in the court case, for instance, that people understood the reality. So when you of say everybody, Noel, what do you mean? Everyone involved okay. from from the first from the first uh, Garda okay. uh, involvement right through to anyone answering the phone about how long it's going to take. Okay. 
people in the DPP's office, all of the lawyers involved, everyone involved in the justice system who has anything to do with it gets sufficient training. And indeed, that people like the DPP would not employ someone unless they're sure they have that training. Okay. That, that the complainant then would have access to information and advice as she or he needs it as mm -hmm. they go through the process. Okay. And that case has been managed much, much better. Because what we, we find in the Rape Crisis Centre as well, what we often find is that somebody, because they have to hold on to every single detail of the worst thing that might ever mm. have happened to them in their lives mm -hmm. for three, four or five years, they will very often, if they're coming in, say, for therapy at the same time, mm. they'll often say, I'm going to drop the case because yeah. I need to get on with my life. Yes, and yeah. I need to put it behind me. Absolutely. A and, and then there's no understanding that, you know, that, that when you are that traumatized by something, that it affects your memory. So there's so much work to be done in that in that in the justice area. And and O'Malley goes some distance, but still I would say it's not far enough because mm. you will still have a massive imbalance between two accounts, one where a person is very well prepared and the other where not. But look, we'll take what we get. Good girl, good girl. <laughs> and the other thing that uh, I wanted to talk about was that in this COVID area that we're now in, unfortunately, domestic violence has doubled here and, and in the UK and apparently yeah. in Europe as well. Yeah. But we're not really hearing a lot about it and it's not even making a headline story. Yeah. That, that worries me. Yeah. What do you think we can do to change that, Noeline? Yeah. Well. Well. First of all, I uh, to to be to be fair and to give credit mm, where yes, it's due because yeah. I, I I'm often given out good, about good. Uh, government departments yeah, and, and yeah. systems and things like that. But one of the things that happened shortly after uh, the the height of the restrictions, say back March to mm. May, uh, one of the things that uh, Tusla, which funds uh, a lot of the domestic violence services and all of the rape crisis centres as well they prioritised uh, domestic and sexual violence services mm -hmm. and said, we will just, and there were three things they prioritised and we were one of them. Mm -hmm. um, and the Department of Justice as well came in and said, we recognise the, the reality that, uh, that the restrictions are going to put some people at risk mm -hmm. because home is not a safe place for somewhere, mm -hmm. for some people. And our Rape Crisis Centre, um, uh, Anne-Marie Gill launched our annual, uh, the Minister for Justice launched an annual Marie Gill set off our annual report there in September 2020. Like every year, 20% of those who come in to us seeking help and, and therapy in relation to sexual violence are uh, suffered that violence at the hands of a partner or ex-partner. Mm, mm. uh, and 50% and of adults who come in to us who suffered abuse as children it's within the family. So so the family is such an unsafe place mm. for some people. Absolutely. And that's such a breach of trust as well. Yeah. You know, it's, it kind of knocks everything you thought was right yes. uh, in, and stable in your world when, when the yeah. violence happens yeah. from the people who, whom you should trust the most. Yes. So they did prioritise those. And, uh, and that was... That was helpful mm -hmm. because it allowed us to get the word out there that we were keeping the services going. Um, and so, so were domestic violence. Actually, domestic violence got more of a shout out than sexual violence for an interesting reason. Mm. Um, the domestic violence calls went up during the worst of the lockdown and therefore it was more noticeable. Mm. Um, and we, saw, we then had a different situation, mm. which is typical actually of reporting of sexual violence throughout Europe. And that is 
during the height of the restrictions, people mm. could not contact us because of lack of privacy mm. or because they were trying to juggle too many things. Yes, do you know? Yes. Whereas, yeah. whereas now, since July 2020, our numbers are going through the roof. Uh, the demand for services is going crazy. Mm. Um, and it's again, it's not that it's not that noticeable. I think during the worst of the restrictions, it was there, there was there was a certain appetite in the media to mm. hear about where our numbers going up. Yes. Um, but once they weren't, people weren't interested in why not, you know. Yeah, but so. I still think our media and I'm talking about our, our print media and our national media have a duty to us women yeah. to, to treat us equal. And yeah. I often feel they don't because yeah. they should be reporting on these things as well. I mean, for example, ye brought out a report in September saying there was a 42 percent increase in, in clients that ye supported for in the sexual assault unit. Yeah. Like that's a huge increase yeah. between one year. And you've said already there's been an increase again because of COVID and yet our national media and our print media are not it's it's not yeah. making headlines and it should because if it made headlines then something would be done about it yes I just yes. wonder why you know who is it that decides that this shouldn't make the headlines well you see I think Mary actually we've uh, again I must be in a glass half full mood today <laughs> yes, because yeah. actually I think it has increased yeah. an awful lot yes again the, the, the level wanted of to increase further yeah, knowing the, is what the, I'm saying yeah, yeah the level the level at which it was reported at all five years ago was tiny. It was right. really, really hard to get yeah. anyone to report in on this area. Yeah. There's still a lot of people who go, no, I only want to hear the juicy stuff about a rape trial or something like that. Yeah. But but I do think, for instance, the programme for government that so so maybe you're I, I think we're talking about two slightly different things. Yeah. But to me, it is what's important is are our structures and systems being adapted at all to make to make it safer? Because this is an issue it is an issue of equality for women totally. because it is if this type of abuse is more likely to happen to women, if sexual harassment is more likely to happen to women, which it is, if if rape is more likely to happen to women, which it is, then women are more at risk of that abuse. Mm. And as a result, there is an an inequality that needs to be addressed. Yes. Now, the place to start that is within government and the programme for government that's there at the moment recognises sexual and domestic violence as an epidemic mm. as and and an epidemic. You, the doctor, yes. we know that in an epidemic, an epidemic is a public health yes, issue. Totally. And and you have to provide mm. the services that are needed for uh, for an epidemic. To, and, and then you have to kind of you have to find the people who are spreading the epidemic and you have to stop them. That's and it. then you have to get people into preventive behaviour so that they don't b- get involved in the epidemic. So, so there's all of those Things so that not only do done. we need a minister then that will, will yeah. oversee yeah, that exactly. to really and, propel and, it to, to forefront? I, I think possibly. Mm. And, and what the programme for government again says is it recognises that the services for the victims of this epidemic mm. are all over the place. Mm. Some in the HSE, some in Tusla. We deal with the guards, we deal with the Department of Health, the Department of Education, the Department and of Justice. And even the whole thing of rape, they were trying to take it from the Department of Justice, Nolan, which would be, yeah. as you said, yeah. maybe demoting it. Um, you know, because you want it to be out there. Yeah, well, that. well, you see, I, I think that I think that in in a sense was premature because what they were trying to say was the next strategy for um, uh, domestic, sexual, and gender-based violence had to be about 
prevention and of yes. course part of it is prevention part of it is also those stopping <laughs> the violence when it yes. happens and justice tends to do the stopping and prevention tends to be elsewhere but they're all but but even talking about that before they do an audit mm. they've promised an audit to see where are all the services when we we said can you do the audit first before you do mm. anything else and that's because we counted up easily we deal with 10 different departments or agencies on a regular basis okay. and maybe 15 or 20 in other towns. And we're only like a, a small part, you know, we're, we're mm. a small cog in the wheel. Yes. So anyone dealing with sexual or domestic violence finds themselves in the same position that there's nobody overall in charge. So it would be absolutely <laughs> really important to put a focal point because we all look, all the agencies are busy. Totally. And they're bound to say, I'm not taking that one on, thank you very much, mm. if I don't have to. Mm. Uh, so unless you have a focal point, unless you have someone saying this isn't happening, so how do we make it happen? And I am going to make sure all these things happen. We, we will continue to have the epidemic. You would not have mm. an epidemic that didn't have a focal point. Yes, well, totally. hopefully you wouldn't anyway. Yes, totally. So, yeah, totally. Well, you're great, Nolan, because every time, you know, I want to see someone talking passionately on the news, Nolan comes out <laughs> and she, she says what I really want her to say. So Good. you're brilliant. It's great Helen McEntee is Minister for Justice because as a female, yeah. uh, she will be listening to the the rights of females, you would yeah, hope. And a- that absolutely. will help as well. And, and she, uh, she, when she, at our annual report launch, she, she put her own personality on the line as well because she committed to the implementation of this O'Malley report, mm. both as Minister and as a young woman. Yes, um, and lovely. she has prioritised consent as a big part of this awareness raising around consent so important so has Simon Harris as the Minister for Further and Higher Education prioritised consent the Minister for Children and Young People uh, is Roderick O'Gorman has also identified mm. this as an area where he well I mean he's, he ultimately funds us so it, mm. it's really important so if we can have a push in this government which actually builds our capacity as a nation mm. to properly understand Understand what is meant by consent and respectful relationships, they'll have done a lot Absolutely. for the advancement of equality generally and the uh, uh, and the equality of women for sure. Very good. Yvonne O'Sullivan, Professor Yvonne O'Sullivan, to give her her, her um, right title, she came out and spoke about uh, sexual harassment, yeah. didn't she? And you're on the governing authority now yeah. of UCD, Nolan, and you've said that you'll rid university of the malfunction of tolerance of sexual abuse. What do you propose to do? How do you propose to well, do that. Well, I, I, I hope that what I said was I, that I will work <laughs> with them and 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 help to address and, yeah. and, and read because I do think it's a malfunction like uh, the, the colleges, all of them. Uh, so I'm on the uh, at governing authority for less than a month at this stage. Now. <laughs> well done. I had my first meeting uh, just very recently. But uh, but it all of the colleges clearly had a problem they weren't addressing Mm -hmm. because the number of complaints being reported by them over the years was that lovely word risible. It it, it was a mockery. It could not be the case that there were so few Few, instances of sexual harassment, either of staff or of students, not on. So so 
so they, they hid it for years, even though the students in all the universities were taking their own steps about consent classes because they knew it was happening. Mm, mm. Um, and, and again, uh, in NUI Galway this year, the Active Consent Group showed, uh, doing a survey with USI, a massive number mm. of young people suffer rape and sexual assault in their first year, like a third of students mm. say this is what has happened. To them. So, so if... Uh, if an institution is operating mm -hmm. in a situation where a lot of their people uh, are operating unsafely because there are no proper systems in place to deal with a health and safety issue mm -hmm. and a respect issue, mm -hmm. then that is bad for the institution. The institution cannot function well if it is ignoring a, a serious health and safety issue. Mm -hmm. So, so. It is therefore malfunctioning if it is not dealing with a health and safety issue in the same way as if all the paths were slippy mm. in a university. Course, yes. uh, you know, you, you'd, you'd have to do something about it because this is not visible. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it's not there. So they all have to adjust. And actually, even before Simon Harris, Mary Mitchell O'Connor, when she was Minister for State in this area, issued a framework mm. for all the universities that she wanted them to adhere to, to end sexual harassment and abuse in the universities. Minister Harris wasn't in, in uh, post for a week before he was calling yeah. meetings around this. So it's a question of adjusting the structures and the systems to allow people to report it, to disclose it and to get the help they need. But it is also a piece around ensuring mm -hmm. that it is recognised by the leadership of all of the colleges, including UCD, which as well as being in the government, it's my old college. I'm oh, very proud of it. I never knew you know, UCD so, of course, yeah. uh, so it's just, it, it, it is important that the leadership there identify identifies this as, as a matter of importance to them, mm -hmm. that they are not letting a serious health and safety issue fester yes. underfoot and that they are not the college. UCD is not to be the place that allows its Good. people to be abused in any way Fantastic. or that or that hinders its female a contingent of staff and students in achieving all their very best while they're in college. And that's what's hap that's what will happen unless there's a full uh, rethink in, in UCD and everywhere else well, as well. Carlolin, we're in good hands. So our legacy then and your legacy, Nolan, what can we do? So that's one of the things you're doing, obviously. Yeah. That's very important. What other things can we do in society to yeah. really move this on? Yeah, so I, I think it, uh, I, I, I don't think of this as, as my legacy no, because no, I yeah. stand on the shoulders of giants, yes, you know, all yes. the people who were there before me as and, all, and all my and all my staff and all the great people I work mm -hmm. with as well um, and, and my board. But so that's within my little organisation. But just generally, I think for all of us, I think there are things we can do. Um, I think, though, th and, and I suppose the biggest thing I think we can do is talk about it and mm. think about it. Mm -hmm. Let's face it, it. 50 years ago, 60 years, 50 years ago, my maths aren't great, but it was in the 1970s that um, uh, there was a court case uh, in uh, kind of a famous court case in Ireland where women were the, where the judge said to the jury, women are a chattel just like a cow or a thoroughbred horse. 
And that was in the 1970s. Now, in fact, Horrific. he was correctly stating the law. So, <laughs> oh so you know, that's, and to this day, I am hearing from um, women in faith based organizations that they are asked not to raise issues uh, where they are um, uh, whether that law you know. has been changed now, Nolene, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, that <laughs> law is gone. That, I, I think that was pretty well the last time. That the, it was. Yeah, it was where you could. Yes. It was where you could sue another man. A man could sue another man who had an affair with his wife. Uh, anyway, so oh it was, my gosh. there you are. Uh, but but that's only 50 years ago. So that was the law for hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm. A woman was property, just like a child. Women were put in the same category as children and lunatics. Mm. Women, children and lunatics mm. was the category. So our whole legal structures were about that men owned women. Mm. And and then as well as that, in our uh, in our faith, which was so important to so many of us overall, and it's still so important, important for so yes, many. Yeah. Uh, there was that sense as well in which this was a private, th- a private place where it was a woman's duty to be obedient to uh, her husband or to the head of the house, who was mm-hmm. inevitably a man. So and indeed, I have to say, in, in the literature I read myself when I was growing up, all those lovely romantic novels, mm. we were given the same kind of things yeah, about... Yeah, the Mills and Boons you know, nonsense ex- that the man was completely well, in control. You, there yes. you are. And, yeah. and, and it was... Uh, and that uh, very often a, a woman wouldn't know she had enjoyed sex until it was all over, you know. Yes. So, so that whole thing um, led everybody, I think, male and female, to believe in a construct mm. which, which was unequal. Yeah. And, and in some ways, I think it is going to take many, many conversations and mm. um, honest conversations, because I think, you know, most people now will say, oh, I know that's not the case. Yes. But really, truthfully, deep down. So in down, the legal world, Nolene, it is happening because that whole yeah. review is happening. Well, and well, it's going to well be it good changes. hopefully now. Well, yes, uh, <laughs> it's, it's being proposed. We'll, we'll, we'll have to hope that it does happen. Because and you're going to drive it anyway. Oh, well, I'm <laughs> certainly going to pick at it. <laughs> and education system. Yeah, what are education we doing system, in the education no, system? Are we getting in no, at the schools, no, Nolene? Not, no, nowhere, nowhere near enough. I okay, mean, some, so we need so to we drive run, that we as run well. a great uh, programme for teachers and guidance counsellors and things mm. like that. But people come to it who are interested. So those schools are so likely we probably to be, need to have it in, in secondary yeah, schools, you don't do, we? You do. And, mm. and there has been a review of the curriculum and some really good advances proposed in it. But we mm. need somebody to drive that as well. And, and you know, people get very het up about at what mm. age should you talk to children about sex? Yes, yeah. So, like, I, I tend to put it a bit differently. It's never too early to talk to children about respect. Yes. Respect for yourself and respect for everybody else. Yes. So in a creche, you're not actually allowed, you're not going to be talking about sexual relations in a creche, but you could be talking to children about how they're not to bite somebody else. Yes, exactly. And they're not to allow themselves to be bitten either. Yes, and, and have boundaries, to, healthy and have boundaries. boundaries. That's all what of, it's all about. All yes. of that and, and respect mm. and understanding that you respect yourself, you respect other people. Mm. I think another area that we really have to talk about is pornography because right now any child who has access to a smartphone Mm -hmm. is being given pornography and it's not as it was you know kind of in the pre-internet days where it was a couple of pictures in a magazine that was shared around young people that is no longer the pornography they're seeing they're seeing hard pornography horrid stuff and they are learning abusive behaviour so they need they need the education to filter that as well so that they understand uh, what's wrong with that but but our we need more um, we need more regulation of our media companies 
influence and then not getting that at too young an age when they can't appreciate yeah, it either. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. And we also need our media companies to be much more ready to uh, mm. to 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 talk about, to understand mm. the impact of abusive behaviour online. Um, and, and again, I know everyone's slow and mm. I know it's hard, but we have to do it because the reality is there's an awful lot of harm still being done. And, and so I, I think it's just questioned. So there need to be conversations. Re- we need to change mindsets. We need to keep the pressure mm. on our government to say this is what you promised to do in this government, Good. do it. And actually, even if this, even if it's a different government, we still need yeah. at least the same things totally. to happen. And because suppose, Noelle, a drive from Europe back. will help as well. Do you think a drive from Europe? Because obviously we're Europeans and, yeah. and the European Parliament, Ursula von Leyen, has said that she certainly wants yeah. equality in, in under her presidency. She, she certainly does. So and, and certainly at EU level. Uh, but for years, they have been very exercised and concerned about violence against women mm. and girls. Mm. Um, and, and that has been a focus there. I will say this, and again, to, to our credit, we are, we're not the best in Europe, but we're by no means the worst as well. When you see surveys yes. of uh, sexual violence across yes. Europe, yeah. uh, you can see that we're not, uh, we're not the worst, but, mm. but, but by no means either uh, can we hold ourselves up as standard bearers. Absolutely. And it's been lovely if we could. Absolutely. So as you say, Nolene, legally we need to make changes. Educationally we need to make changes both in under Graduate, but also postgraduate. Yeah. When we were talking to Maeve Hulhan, yes. their dean of UCD Business School, uh, this morning uh, about that. But we also need to make changes in Europe. And where else could we make changes then? At just home. to change. I mean, this is yeah. this is the thing, I, I, and I think it's maybe what we're looking at in Dublin Rape Crisis Centre mm. as well. Is how could we? So we're, for instance, we're doing a piece of research at the moment on what do people really think about consent? You know, just mm. really what a public attitude. Because one of the biggest gaps we have in Ireland is a lack of data, a lack of evidence, a lack of joined up information around the extent of the problem. So we're grabbing it from our own statistics and we're getting a bit from Europe and then Mm. the guards have a bit and the CSO have a So like it's but none of it is joined up. Mm. Uh, So that's a real problem. So we're doing some work at the moment on uh, on awareness in in the public around real awareness around consent and attitudes and that. And that research, we hope, will come out in uh, early in, uh, next year. Mm. And on the basis of that, we would like to help help in whatever way we can mm. to have um, to have the conversations that are necessary at so many levels in our society, because ultimately what we could do is we could narrow the problem. We will never get rid of rape and sexual assault. Mm. But if we could narrow it to people who actually understand what they're doing and then maliciously set out mm. to rape or sexually assault somebody else, we would actually have done a huge amount of work rather than people just believing because mm-hmm. their daddy did it before them and and their daddy did it before that that they were entitled to behave in a way. And you think if we believed in utopia and only eventually that if we achieved or we're setting out to achieve which is equality between the sexes that we could get to a stage though where there would be no rape. I mean surely if we got to a stage where each sex, you know, males yeah. and females respect themselves as equal there, there would be no abuse. Is, is that too well, much to ask well, for? Well I, I think there'll always be crime you yes, see yes, and yes. Uh, so there will always be people who will set out but what you would love is that right now it's probably 
three out of four rapes or sexual assaults are committed by someone known to the victim. That's very true. Now, ideally, if you could get that down to one, Mm. if you could have that three or four were strangers, you know, uh, you you would have made a huge difference and you would definitely have narrowed the Mm. pool an awful lot. Uh, So, you know, I don't know that it's utopia like Again, if you look back 50 or if I say that again, the 50 years ago, a woman was a chattel just like a cow or a thoroughbred mm. horse. Well, maybe there is the odd person around who still thinks that, but they're certainly not going to say it out loud. Well, not you know. those around anyway, though. <laughs> they most definitely so, aren't. So yes. that's, that's only 50. Yeah. Like, you know, a um, hundred years ago, it certainly wasn't considered proper for a married woman, say, to go out to work. That's it was right. considered a total insult to the whole yes, family. Yes, yes, they whereas, to give up great you know, careers. Uh, yeah. Whereas now, t- try telling that to a young one now, or we, indeed to a, a, an old one either, you know, <laughs> yeah, we simply yeah, wouldn't yeah, have it. Yeah. So I think there, I think once people understand equality, uh, the, those who recognise they are equal will press for it. I think we totally. we, ne- we need to be there. And for those of us who've who've had privilege, uh, who've, who've done well, um, who even live in countries which are advanced in in mm. in a lot of ways, where where which are richer and more privileged in some ways, I think we owe it to everybody else to to keep at it and to kind of keep saying, look. Here's something we could fix. This is mm. ours is a solution based approach. I think what you and totally, I have been talking about. Totally, yes, and absolutely. there is a solution to the inequality, to the imbalance and to the dreadful level of hurt that that brings to so many people. You know, totally. we could stop that totally. if we really wanted, wanted to. to. And Olin, I think the big thing about us having this conversation today is by us talking about female empowerment, by us talking about equality, by us talking about, the, the, you know, how wrong rape is, but also that you, you can come to the Rape Crisis Centre and all the, the different. Yes. And, and there is so much help out there because there was a recent rape, as we know, in, in a family where a father raped his daughters and it was horrendous. Yes. But the one thing was that those women came forward because they got the help. Yes. And and they, they felt confident enough that the justice system was going to 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 help them and yeah. actually listen to them, which thankfully it did. Yeah. But I think that's why we have need to have these conversations. Don't yeah. you agree? Yeah, Because if absolutely. you don't open it up, people aren't going to come forward. Yeah, and, and feel I, people aren't going to come forward. And also in a hidden crime like this and a hidden harm, people think it's them alone. Totally. And yeah. one of the best tools any abuser has is to make people feel that they're the fault, they're yes. the problem. Yes. And the number of people who feel that it's their problem, the number of people who were reluctant to contact us after uh, the after COVID started because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe they went outside their mm. uh, kilometre radius. And the abuser or makes them feel like it was they asked for it. Exactly. They, they, yeah, exactly. The, like exactly. what we spoke about yeah. with the court case. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, Nolene, yeah. you are just amazing. You're really passionate about what you do. You're a real mentor for everyone listening. You're fantastic. You're full of energy energy you really are you're just you can see why you've done so well and I really want to thank you so much for coming here today I can see why you've got to where you have I'm delighted you're a Tipperary native like myself (laughs) I was delighted when I saw that I can see why Simon Harris uh, said you were an incredible advocate I mean you're just amazing your wealth of knowledge but what is really you're a lovely warm person and you're really out there to make a change and, and I'm so thrilled Mary can I it was a great honour thank you very much thank indeed. you for coming Nolene and really really and thank can you. I just maybe give our um, helpline number just in case please, anyone wants it at the end do, of it. So this is 24-7 and the number is 1-800-77-88-88
Thanks a million. Thank you, Nolene. Thank you. 